Good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. Glendale's in the house. Las Vegas is in the house. Michigan's in the house. Coeur d'Alene's in the house. We're worldwide. We're everywhere. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. God provided Barah Ministries for your benefit so you can learn three things if you want to. First, that Jesus Christ is God. In John chapter 6, verse 28, members of a crowd asked the Lord Jesus Christ the question men have been asking since the beginning of time. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? What should we do? That's people. We always want to do our own salvation. The Lord answers, speaking of himself, in John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus said to them, This is the work you can work, to work the works of God the Father. Simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God the Father has sent to save you. Uh-oh, simplicity. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to believe in me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have come down from heaven. Jesus Christ is God. He is not just a guy. He came down from heaven. Not to do my own will, the Lord says, but to do the will of God the Father who sent me. And why did God the Father send Jesus Christ to the earth? To save us. John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my God and Father, that everyone who beholds the Son of God the Father and believes in Him will have eternal life, the resurrection life. And I myself, the Lord Jesus Christ, will raise Him up in resurrection from the dead on the last day. What a beautiful thing. It doesn't get any simpler than that. If you want to be saved, believe in Him whom God the Father has sent on your behalf. Jesus Christ is God. The second thing God the Father wants you to know, to get to know the Lord, you have to study His Word, the Bible, the inerrant canon of Scripture. You hear people say, well, I don't think I have to go to church to worship God. Okay, that can be true, but then what's your program? What is your scheduled, specific, consistent program to worship God? Oh, you don't have one? Uh Uh-huh. So stop talking smack. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 2 makes the issue for your life very plain. It says this, do not be conformed to this world by Satan, by his cosmic system of thought, and by the flesh resident in you. This is Satan's kingdom, planet Earth, and he is always influencing you because he loves ruining you. Instead, keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind as you study the Word of God. There it is. You need the Word of God, which is the truth, in your soul to be able to combat lies. If you don't have truth to combat combat lies, you're going to be the victim of a counterfeit. Continuing, so that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is. That's what's great about God. He doesn't just tell us stuff so that we know it in theory. He gives us the testing of experience. He shows us by letting us experience the things we need to experience to learn. So that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is. And the will of God is that which is good for you, that which is acceptable to Him, and that which is perfect in result. And everything God does, this omniscient Lord who knows everything that is knowable, always has you in mind. You don't have anyone in your life who has ever felt this way about you. In the Lord, there's no guile at all. Finally, God the Father wants you to know the Lord Jesus Christ has an enemy, Satan, whom the Lord made the ruler of this world for a short time. Satan is only content when he is destroying things. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Lord details Satan's plan for mankind. Satan, the thief, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into the world that whosoever wants it may have the resurrection life, which is eternal life, and that they may have that life abundantly. That's God, abundance. That is not God, scarcity. He is not a God of scarcity. You are precious in God's sight. He's always providing what you need for spiritual nourishment. Do you care enough about Him and about yourself to dedicate time to the one who created you so you can get to know Him? The choice is yours. That's why we gather here at Bra Ministries every week to get to know the person that we will meet one day to get to know the person we'll be spending all eternity with. Today's lesson, Paul begins to teach the foolish Galatians. Paul begins to teach the foolish Galatians. There are several questions that provide us with context for the letter we're about to study. And in today's lesson, you get to compare your answers to the question, which you were asked to answer last week, to the real answers to the question. All right, well, let's hear some music. In a future time, the heavens and the earth as we know them today will be destroyed by God. The Apostle Peter makes this clear in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does a thief do? He sneaks up on you. And on that day, the heavens and the earth will pass away with a roar. You'll hear a loud noise where the earth and the universe... and The heavens and the earth are sucked up and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Are you ready for that day? 
See, people hear this and they think, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, I got to get to Starbucks. You know, for most people, Starbucks is church. You know, they go to that church every day, but they wouldn't imagine going to the church, to a church where they could learn the Word of God every day. Well, are you ready for the day when the earth and the universe and the heavens are destroyed? One thing will not pass away, though. The Lord makes a promise in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. The heavens and the earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Not now, not ever. You can always count on what God has to say. Here's the group Mercy Me to tell us. Word of God, speak. Finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is, it's okay The last thing I need is to be heard But to hear what you would say So uh, yesterday I called our 
former song worship leader June Murphy and yelled at her because I thought this was a song she wrote because she sings it so so well. But where is she now? She's former. Why? Because she's out in North Carolina doing nothing, missing us. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right, June? <laughs> we miss you. Get over here. Roaring, put a sock in it. Yeah, yeah. Put a sock in it. Hee, hee, hee. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, you are everything, and everything is you. Thank you so much for thinking enough of us to allow your Son to create us. Thank you for your plan for all mankind and your personal plan for each of us. Thank you for sending your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to restore the relationship between your creatures and you reconciliation and thank you for giving us God the Holy Spirit as our mentor and teacher who leads us into all the truth about you father it's easy to take our eyes off of you and to place our eyes on people it's easy to wish that people could see the importance of treating each other well it's easy to want things for others they don't want for themselves you know all too well about this because foolish people reject a relationship with your son that could save them for all eternity Open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears to hear the message you provide today and help us not to forget those in our periphery who need to hear the gospel message and those believers in our periphery who need to hear the word of God to refresh their souls here in your enemy's kingdom. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, Paul begins to teach the foolish Galatians. Paul begins to teach the foolish Galatians. Well, in his poem, The Road Not Taken, Robert Frost details the biblical truth. Here's the end of the poem. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. That's what we do as believers in Christ. We take the road less traveled by. We're freaks here in Satan's kingdom. We're mocked. Oh, you Bible thumpers. We're laughed at. And all the people that are laughing at us will not be laughing when they're in the lake of fire. They'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth because there are people that are important to us and we talk to them over and over and over again. Get a relationship with the Lord. When you close your eyes in this life, you'll be absent from the body and face-to-face with the Lord. Eternity's a long time. Ah, yeah, you, you need a crutch. I don't need a crutch. And now I'm off on my way to Starbucks. Well, then they hear that word that you don't ever want to hear, hospice. And when you hear hospice, you got about 48 hours left on, on average. And then all of a sudden, okay, let's get spiritual. Let's start thinking about eternity. Let's start sp- thinking about our spiritual life. It's too late. I mean, as long as you're breathing, you got time, but it's too late. I mean, the thief on the cross who was being crucified next to Jesus Christ said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and he was saved. You don't want to wait. While you're down here in Satan's kingdom, there's a lot of opportunity to be refreshed. Well, the biblical equivalent 
of the end of Robert Frost's poem. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 that says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Matthew 7, 14, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life, and few find it. Misery loves company. Those who follow the crowd are doomed. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, they say. Every dating website, everybody is saying the same thing. I'm spiritual, not religious. They have no idea what they're saying. These pathetic words will play over and over in the minds of those who take the broad way that leads to destruction as they reside in the lake of fire for all eternity when they close their eyes in this life. So there you stand. There each of us stand, and there's a road that goes one way, and there's a road that goes the other way. The road that is broad, of course, is very well worn, because there are a lot of people that go that way. And the way that is the narrow way that leads to life, and the narrow way, by the way, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him, and you'll be saved. It's kind of grassy, and once where, as Robert Frost says in his poem earlier. So, which road are you going to take? Misery loves company, so most people will take the broad road. They figure, you know, all these people can't be wrong. There are billions and billions of people in this world, this world of 7 billion plus people, billions of them. My estimate, 5 billion of them, maybe 6 billion of them are on the broad road that leads to destruction. The Matthew verses highlight a simple truth from a crystal clear God. There is simplicity and purity involved in following the Lord Jesus Christ. You have two choices in this life, destruction or the resurrection life. Take your pick. And when people want to describe the confusion of their lives, they have a pet expression. It's complicated. It's complicated. Your life may be complicated, but God is not. Get on his train. Be on his team. Wear his uniform. There are two roads to take in this life. And each of us is responsible for a decision about the road we choose. There is the narrow way and there is the broad way. Take your pick. As the Apostle Paul traveled through the Galatian region on his first missionary journey, he became ill. Coincidence? I don't think so. And the people in the Galatian region nursed him back to health. And so while he was there, he established churches in the region and he taught them the gospel message, which is the good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation offer. You'll remember that as we begin the study of a biblical letter, ten questions give us context for what we're about to study. Let's look at three of the ten questions in the first half of the lesson And then we'll finish the last seven questions in the second half of the lesson. Now, questions demand answers. So here goes. The first question is, who wrote the letter that we're about to study? Who wrote the letter that we're about to study? The second question is, to whom is the letter directed? The third question is, where do the people live who are receiving the letter? All right, let's answer the questions. 
who wrote the letter that we're about to study. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. And he describes himself as the worst person who ever lived. Isn't it interesting that God would pick the worst person who ever lived to write two-thirds of the mystery doctrine of the church age? And so we're always trying to, quote-unquote, live the right kind of life. That's what we say. I just want to be pleasing to God. And we're always putting this mental construct in our head that we have to do something to be pleasing to God. Deleted, no, you don't. He loves you unconditionally. What does unconditionally mean? With no conditions. What part of un don't you understand? He loves you. He's going to keep loving you for all time. He loved you before you were born. He has your name personally in mind all the time. You don't have to do a thing to please him. He's already pleased with you. You can't even relate to that because you have family. And your family can't stand you. They're always telling you about how bad you are. They're always telling you all the mistakes you made when you were 12. And so we think, well, if that's the way my family is, that must be the way God is. That is not the way God is. God is a God who loves you unconditionally, who forgives you totally. He's not sitting around going, oh, God, I can't can't believe she made that mistake. I can't believe he did. Holy Spirit, can you believe he did that? He's omniscient. He knows all the knowable. He knew before he created you all the sins you would commit, and he created you anyway. But these are the things that we impose on ourselves because we live in Satan's kingdom and Satan, well, God is going to be very disappointed that you did that. Very disappointed. God has never been disappointed with a single creature. But if he is disappointed with anybody, which by the way is not, he would be disappointed with Satan, the ruler of this world, who's the biggest scumbag in the history of creatures. Horrible had everything, had it perfect, and killed it until unrighteousness was found in him. Killed it. He was the number two man in the game, and he killed it. No, and God's not even disappointed with Satan. He loves Satan unconditionally. So, yeah, it's just crazy. Well, here's how Paul describes himself. He describes himself as the worst person who ever lived. God picked the worst person who ever lived to teach you everything you need to know about him. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 says this, To me, Paul, the very least of all the saints, in other words, the worst believer in Christ ever, a saint is a believer in Christ. To me, Paul, the very least of all the saints, the worst believer in Christ ever, this grace was given to me by God. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Ephesians 3, 9, and to bring to light the dispensation of the mystery, that's the church age, the age that we're in, which for ages has been hidden in the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who created all things. So, as we go backward from the church age, we got the age of the hypostatic union, we got the age of Israel, we got the age of the Gentiles. All of them wanted to know what the future was going to be. 
and they knew something was strange, but they didn't know what it was. Well, they found out that something strange was there's this thing that happened called the cross. Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, and while he was there, he paid for all the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. And then since then, we are now in the church age, and everyone who becomes a believer in Christ in this age, the church age, is a gift from God the Father to Jesus Christ for the work he did. So congratulations, people. You are the children of the church age. <clears throat> you are part of the dispensation of the mystery. You are in a divine period of time, which is called a dispensation, that presents you as a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ in honor from God the Father in honor of Jesus' work on the cross. And you who have faith in Christ are sons of the living God. Everything changed at the cross. And now we are in the dispensation of grace. We get to see God's amazing grace and his tremendous patience with his creatures. He is a God who wants everyone to be saved. Question two, to whom is the letter to the Galatians addressed? Well, in his first missionary journey, the Apostle Paul traveled across central Turkey in a region known as Galatia. And while he was there, he established churches at Iconium, at Lystra, and at Derbe. He gave them the gospel message, and they responded positively. And they were doing very well, growing within the sphere of grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, until the thief, the enemy of God, barged in to destroy the churches and to pervert the truth. That's what he always does. And you can always count on it. He's always predictable. He always does things the same way. He always comes at people the same way because he hasn't got a creative bone in his body. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul asks, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I told you the truth, and now you're listening to goofy stuff? Oh, my goodness. The good news of salvation through faith alone in Christ is the most important message in the history of the world. This message changed Paul's life. And through him, the message changed the lives of countless others. Paul and his cohorts, cohorts, hortz, evangelized the whole world. Yet as always, the message was being attacked. And Paul wrote this letter to the members of the churches in the Galatian region to defend the truth of the gospel. False teachers invaded the churches of Galatia, churches Paul had founded, and these liars were teaching a different gospel, a counterfeit gospel. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I get it. I get it. Believing in Christ, that's really important, but you have to be circumcised too. Yeah, believing in Christ is great, but you have to keep the rituals of the Mosaic law. What is it that liars always want to do. They want to take the perfect Christianity and they want to mix in other stuff. And that's how religions are formed. Yeah, Christianity's not quite enough. Christ isn't quite enough. So let's add something. Let's mix it in. That's legalism. And they were spreading the lie of a mixture of the Mosaic law and grace. They don't fit. That's oil and water. They will never mix. 
legalism is a disease. And Paul wasn't about to stand by and do nothing. So he wrote this letter to wake the Galatians up. The third question, where did the people live who were receiving the letter? Well, the Galatian region is in central Turkey. Here's a map, and that map will be on the website for those of you who are just listening and not seeing. But you can take a look at this map, and then you can compare it to modern day. And as we go forward, I'll get a map that will show you what that same region looks like today and what the names are that you ought to be looking for. If you look at this map, you can see Cilicia. You can see a city in Cilicia called Tarsus. And that's where Paul, Paul is from. He was Saul of Tarsus. <clears throat> but that's where he's from. And so this was the region that he was evangelizing. So he's pretty close to home as he established, as he established the churches at Galatia. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll continue our introduction to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to Jesus. I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that Start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world. Jesus. Cause I'm 
Check, check. There we go. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Paul begins to teach the foolish Galatians. Well, one of the great pleasures of life is giving time, talent, and treasure to those who want to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. Best of all, the learning is free of charge because of your generosity. True ministry involves giving, not receiving. Yet it's an equal pleasure being given to in return. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Not that I seek the gift for myself, even though I appreciate it. Can you put that slide up, Denny? Not that I seek the gift for myself, even though I appreciate it, but I seek the profit, which increases to your account from God, when you give. So you're invited to give, to make giving to Barah Ministries a part of your routine. God blesses your giving and makes it have an impact in places all over the world for people you know nothing about. Simultaneously, God gives abundant credit back to your account. If you listen to Barah Ministries, we appreciate it when you contribute to Barah Ministries and no amount is too small. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Brown Ministries because at Brown Ministries, we know we need the Word of God. We know we need truth. But more than that, we know that we need truth first. Truth first every day, every month, every year, every part of our life, we need to put God first. And you think about it, each day, what do you do? You get up in the morning, and there's some things you do first. Go to the bathroom, wash your face, and brush your teeth. If you don't brush your teeth, I'm worried about you. But there's some other things, like Pastor already nailed it. He talked about coffee. What do people do? They get up, they get coffee first. They don't do anything else. They've got to get their coffee first. And you think about it. You get in your, your car, you put your seatbelt on first. You do those things, you're going to have a pretty good day. You brush your teeth, you get your coffee, put your seatbelt on. Do those things first, you're going to have a good day. And you think about in the spiritual realm, we have time, talent, and treasure. Pastor harps on every week. We have 168 hours every week. What do you use for God? Right? 168 hours. But how many do you actually plan on giving to God? None, probably, right? It's just whatever's left over. And how about your, your talent? 
you know, your spiritual gift. So many people we hear, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Well, I think you do know what it is. I think you're just scared. I'm scared too. I don't want to walk in mine. Nobody wants to walk in theirs. But through God and through courage, you can do it. So just put it first. A lot of people don't. And I think our treasure, what do we do for our treasure? We don't, we could put, give coffee first, but not God first, not Barah first. And that's really hard to do. I admit it myself. I do the same, but we need to put God first. And I know you've been waiting all week to hear what I have to say, but what does the Bible have to say? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just hit auto. Did you hit it? You want the slide? Yep. There you go. <laughs> Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Because once you have his righteousness, what else do you need? You know you're walking in his power. So remember, as we go to the, into this week, to put God first, not just for us, not for Barah, but for yourself, because it's the best thing you can do. And so keep Keep on giving to Broad Ministries, and thank you everybody for tuning in, and we miss everybody that's not here today. So have a great day, and hit it, Pastor. There is search for all eternity long and find there is none like you there is none like you no one else can touch my heart like you do I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Your mercy flows like a river wide and healing comes from Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Paul begins to teach 
the foolish Galatians? Well, let's answer the final seven questions of the introduction to Paul's letter to the Galatian believers. Question four, what do we know about the author of the letter? Well, there's much to know about Paul. And here's how God allows Paul to describe himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. He says, Finally, my brethren, believers in Christ, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again and again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Repetition is the mother of learning. Philippians 3, 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware of all those people who are trying to distort the gospel of Christ. Beware of all those who are rejecting the Lord. Philippians 3, 3. For we believers in Christ are the true circumcision, who worship through the agency of God the Holy Spirit, and who glory in our union with the Christ, Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3, 4. Although I, Paul, myself might have confidence, even in the flesh. Now Paul's going to give us his resume. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I should far more, Philippians 3, 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day following exact Jewish protocol. I am of the nation of Israel, the nation of God. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, the toughest of all the tribes. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am at the top of all the Hebrews. And concerning the Mosaic law, I am a Pharisee, Philippians 3, 6. And as to zeal, I'm a zealous persecutor of the church. He, his regular practice was to kill men, women, and children who were Christians because he wanted to wipe out the Christian church. And as to the righteousness, self-righteousness, which is derived from the Mosaic Law, I am found blameless. He had quite a resume. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever things were gained to me because of all those human accomplishments, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That stuff's behind me. That's all stuff that I thought was important, and I learned it wasn't important, and now I am forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Philippians 3.8 More than that, I count all those things from the past to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish. Uh, this is where the translators get very politically correct. Political correctness did not start in our current age. Rubbish is actually a word scubula that appears once in the Bible in Greek, scubula, and it means human excrement. Oh my God, Pastor, you're swearing. Well, Paul swears right here too, but you know, I mean, pastors should never swear. Let's put pastors up on a pedestal. Yeah, scubula happens. That's right. So that's what that word means. And I count them but rubbish so that I may gain a relationship with the Christ. Philippians 3.9. And so I may be found in union with him, not having a self-righteousness of my own derived from keeping the Mosaic law, 
but having the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ alone. The righteousness which comes from God the Father based on faith in Christ alone. Philippians 3.10 That I may know Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Philippians 3.11 So that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's Paul. That's the guy who wrote this book and that's something that we know about him that he had quite a resume and yet all of that stuff all of those human accomplishments to Paul were nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ question five when did he write the letter Uh, most scholars estimate that he wrote the letter around AD 51 soon after he left the Galatian Galatian region upon completion of his first missionary journey. When the cat's away, the mice will play. As soon as he left, in come the Judaizers, and they're saying, who is that Paul guy again? And they started to stir up trouble. Question six. Where was the author when he wrote the letter? Well, some say Paul was in Corinth. Some say he was in Ephesus. Some say he was in Macedonia. And as our study of the letter unfolds, we'll zoom in to an accurate answer for this question. We know this, Paul was alive when he wrote this letter. Yuck, yuck. Question seven. What was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? Paul was stemming an attack on the freedom of grace. Satan seeks to destroy a church from within. He fills the church with legalists who see believers in Christ operating in freedom, and they want to lure believers in Christ back into slavery. It's a slavery to which most believers willingly return. See, that's what we want to do. We want to believe that God has these hoops that we have to jump through. We want to believe that there's a ladder we have to climb. And if we don't really put in the effort, then God is going to be upset. And he's going to, well, do, 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 do this. And all the religions, and I was a Roman Catholic for 21 years. Yeah, believe in Christ. By the way, a counterfeit Jesus in the Roman Catholic Church, a Jesus who did not complete the work of salvation at the cross. Believe in our counterfeit Jesus, but to be saved, you've got to keep the sacraments. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sacraments. Okay, great. So I believe in this counterfeit Christ, and then I keep the sacraments. Am I saved? Well, not so fast. Well, because if you die with a mortal sin on your soul, and a priest doesn't come up out of the sewer and give you extreme unction, well, you have to go to purgatory for additional cleansing. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus Christ paid for all the sins of all mankind at the cross. Now I need additional cleansing? There's legalism. It's always you need something more. Jesus Christ was not sufficient in their mind. So you need a help. You always need something more. It's a lie. And we love it. We love those lies. We want to work and work and work and work to please God. It doesn't work to please Him because you don't need to work to please Him. He loves you unconditionally. And you just get frustrated and you say, screw this God stuff. Screw it. I, I don't even want anything to do with it. It's not the God stuff you don't want anything to do with. It's the Satan stuff where he's telling you all this false stuff that you have to do to please God that can never please God. And then you blame God instead of blaming the one who perpetrated it. That's what Satan is so good at. He's so good at using you, 
getting you to pay the bill and never taking the blame for anything, but instead distracting, deflecting the blame to God. And we let it happen because we are oblivious to the truth when we don't study the Word of God on a regular basis. So Paul was stemming this attack on the freedom of grace, and most of us love the slavery that Satan proposes, we love returning to it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, though, the Lord sums up the main message of the letter to the Galatians very well. He says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us believers in Christ free. Therefore, keep on standing fast in the freedom and do not ever again be subject to the, lo- to the yoke of slavery. We're standing on victorious ground. Don't go searching for the victory. Stay where you are. Relax. But that's not what we do. We always are going and helping God and adding things, and it's just terrible. Question eight. What does God want the author to communicate to the intended audience of the letter? Well, God wants everyone to know that righteousness, the admission ticket to heaven, comes from God, not from self-generated works. Righteousness is not generated by man through his dead works. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. He is our sin substitute. Why did he do that? So that we might become the absolute righteousness of God the Father in union with him. At the moment of your salvation, through the only legitimate baptism, the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, a believer in Christ who places his faith in Christ is placed into union with Christ. It's a union you cannot get out of no matter what, what you do. You try to run from God, he's running right with you. You run the other way, he's right with you. You can't get away from him once you believe in Christ. Question nine, what's the main message of the letter? Well, it's captured in a couple of verses, like chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, which says a man is not justified by doing the works of the Mosaic law. You cannot work to earn your salvation. Justification is a legal contract between God and mankind, and a man is not justified by doing the works of the Mosaic law. A man is justified through faith in Christ Jesus alone. That's it. That's the message. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I, Paul, do not nullify the grace of God by adding my own junk to salvation. Because if righteousness comes through keeping the Mosaic law, then Christ died needlessly. If we could save ourselves, if we could just follow a set of rules and save ourselves, there would be no need for the Lord to go to the cross. He just wasted his time. And I guarantee you, he did not waste his time. God's grace is personal. Romans chapter 6, 14 says this, For sin shall not any longer be a master over you believers in Christ. And what do believers in Christ do every time they sin? They start gnawing at their knuckles. They start biting their fingernails. Now, I I, I hardly recommend that. It'll save you the cost of manicures. But 
It doesn't help. Sin shall not any longer be a master over you believers in Christ. Why? Because you're not under the Mosaic law. That was the age of Israel. That was all the ritual teaching that said, here's what you look for when the Savior gets here. The Savior is here. The cross is here. All that stuff's behind. You are not under the Mosaic law. You church-age believers are under grace. What is grace? God giving you things you don't deserve. Why? Because he wants to. So what's the main message of the letter? You have freedom. Use it. Self-trust will land you in hell. Legalism sucks people into thinking that they can attain righteousness on their own. The righteousness that comes from man's work. I have tons of friends who are always talking, I want to earn my salvation. You can't. It's free. So you go into a donut shop and they've got a bunch of donuts sitting up there and it says free donuts and you walk up and you take a donut and you eat it and you say, oh, by the way, can I pay for the donut? The person said, well, it's free. Yeah, but I want to pay for the donut. I like to earn the donut. The donut's free. That's salvation. Salvation is the free donut. Don't take the free donut, start eating the donut, and then say you want to pay for it. Stay out of God's way. Let him save you. Our salvation comes as a gift from outside of ourselves, a gift that's free of charge from a gracious God. But humans don't like the idea of dependence on God. Humans prefer the if it's to be, it's up to me mentality. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's a lie. You are nothing. You're lucky to even be here. But God loves you. And he wants everything for you. He wants all the best for you. Good luck with those. If it's to be, it's up to me. And I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul lie. You'll be pondering them for all eternity in the lake of fire, and you'll be disappointed with yourself that you missed it, that salvation was a one-second decision, and it was free of charge. If your salvation is up to you, you're doomed. All right, the final question. What relevance does the letter to the Galatians have to our lives today? Well, we live in a world that enslaves us, and we enjoy it. We're enslaved in marriage. We're enslaved by kids. You know, I want to get married. I want to have a baby. And, you know, we're not prepared for marriage. So we get into marriage and we find out marriage is a a harsh master. You get in there, you got to work. You want to compete, but you have to cooperate. You have to do things for the other people. Person. Nobody tells you that when you marry somebody 10 years in, they might have an illness that is a lifelong illness, and now you have to take care of that person. Nobody tells you that you might be driving along and get in a car accident and end up in a wheelchair for the rest of your life with this person that you said, till death do us part, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Nobody tells you that the person may have a lousy credit score, they're horrible managing their money, And now you're stuck with everything. See, we get so enslaved because we plunge into things without inspection. We're enslaved by our kids. 
these little tyrants who are running around screaming, screeching, whining, everything they ask for. <laughs> everything tone in their voice. <laughs> and we see parents jumping through hoops for three-year-olds. They'll be in the target line and turn around. Do you want this or do you want this? They're asking a three-year-old to make a decision. All the three-year-old wants is a juice box and somebody to change their little pull-up diapers. But we're going to ask them for a decision. We're enslaved in friendships. We have friends who are one-sided. Everything for them, nothing for us. And they're really good at lying to you for a long period of time, hiding their true intent for a long period of time, and their true intent is to put, put a straw in your ear, to suck out everything they can, and when they have an, an empty edamame pea pod, which is you, then they discard you, trash you on the way out, and they're on to find the next host of their leech mentality. That's, that's slavery. We, we enslave ourselves by getting tied up in relationships that can never work. You know, when a relationship obviously proposes that it doesn't work for you, cut it off. It's not what we do. Oh, no, I can make this happen. Oh, no, if I just put in more effort and the other person continues to do nothing with no skin in the game, I can make it happen. No, you can't. We're enslaved at work. We trade our time for a paycheck. And it frustrates us because we never get ahead. The government keeps taking more and more of our money, and we sit there whining and complaining as opposed to adding 80 or 90 expertises to ourselves over a five-year period of time so that we can command more income in the marketplace. We're enslaved by home mortgages that make us pay double for the houses we buy. You buy a $500,000 house, you get a $500,000 mortgage, 30-year, 4% mortgage, you pay off your $500,000, you pay them about $300,000. You pay $800,000 for a $500,000 house, and when they're taking the payments, they get their money first, interest first, and then, oh yeah, a little bit to the principal. Right? Well, there are loans today that do it the opposite. But we'd have to learn, and so we just, well, what are you going to do? Everybody's got a mortgage, so I'm going to do it. We're just slaves. In every single area of our lives, we let ourselves be enslaved, and it's brutal. We're enslaved to a government who's constantly lying to us and taking our money. Okay, here's the deal. You can start an IRA. Put in money today when you're 21 years old, and we'll give you a tax break. And then when you're 65 and you retire, then the tax rates, your tax rate will be lower and you get to take advantage of it. It's really great. Okay, so you say, this is great. This is so good. So you put $100,000 in every year for 40 years. Now you got about $4 million, and then the government comes in. Okay, I get half, and I need to force you to take money, and when you take money, I'm going to tax it, and I get half. They did nothing to build up your investment, and then they come in and take half of it. And you're looking at a number and you're thinking, I have four million. No, you don't. You have two. Slavery. See, that's Satan's kingdom. We are in slavery. And we don't look for, to learn ways to defeat the slavery. So 
these are the things that we're going to be talking about as we go through the Paul's letter to the Galatians. There's slavery and there's freedom. Two roads diverged in a wood and I. I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Take the freedom road. Don't take the slavery road. We are never enslaved by God. As we study Paul's letter to the Galatians, hopefully it will become your get-out-of-jail-free card. You'll look at all the places where you are imprisoned and you will shut those down. Those who are freed by the Lord Jesus Christ are free indeed. All righty. The closing moments of our lesson today could be the 10 most important minutes of your life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. How would it be to know there's someone who loves you so much that their love for you is almost unspeakable, yet you don't know who they are and you aren't interested in meeting them? That may be your situation because the creator of the universe created you. He loves you unconditionally and you may not have a relationship with him, but he wants one with you. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, all things came into being through the Lord God the Son. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, including you. Well, you can have a relationship with your creator, and he's looking for you. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost? That's a reference to an unbeliever. He goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. Luke 15, 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke 15, 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. Luke 15, 7. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, an unbeliever, who repents, than over 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the bad news is that God is looking for you, and you definitely are not looking for him. Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 say this, No creature understands God or any divine thing. No creature seeks a relationship with God. Romans 3.12, all creatures have turned aside from God and together they have become useless. No creature does good, there is not even one. All of us were born in a state of unrighteousness, physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. Oops, there goes your theory. I'm basically a good person. No, you're not. That's not what God says. God says you're youthless, worthless, on the wrong side of a barrier when you're born, spiritually dead, unable to have a relationship with God, helpless, hopeless. There are a lot of words that describe you, but it's all despicable. Now, it's not your fault that you were born this way, but it is your circumstance. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there's good news. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is preached in what God calls the gospel message. God has a personal salvation plan for every unbeliever. Let's see what happened when the gospel message was preached in a prison in first century Rome. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 31 say this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cells, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Acts 16, 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Acts 16, 27. And when the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, allowing prisoners to escape, carried a penalty of instant execution for prison guards. So he was just going to do it himself. Acts 16, 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying to the guard, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Acts 16, 29. And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16, 30. And after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. The guard had been listening to the spiritual songs Paul and Silas were singing, and he wanted to know what to do to be saved. Acts 16, 31, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Believe. What does that mean? It means simply take God's word for what it takes to be saved. And what does it take? Believe. Place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It's simply using the gift of faith given to you by God and placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the ticket to eternal life. So how did our jailer friend get saved? In a crisis. He recognized he needed a Savior. Don't wait for the crisis, please. He asked someone who knew what it took to be saved. Believers in Christ presented the accurate gospel message. The jailer did what was suggested, and he was saved. It's that simple. It's so simple. Why can't we get it how simple it is? Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Don't wait for a crisis to be saved. Do it now. The news goes from bad to worse 
if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 say this, The wrath of God the Father, the lake of fire, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, that's unbelievers, against all unrighteousness, that's unbelievers, against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. What do they do? They ignore God. There is no God. I don't believe in God. I don't do, I'm not religious. I don't do that. They just push it away. Romans 1.19. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of them. For God the Father made it evident to them from inside of them. Everyone who comes here knows that there is a God. And if they try to suppress it, they just ignore that calling that's coming from inside. Romans 1.20, and since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, God's eternal power, and God's divine nature, he is deity, have been clearly seen by all mankind. Please stop saying it. But what if they didn't know? They knew. They knew it from inside. They knew it from outside. They rejected it. That's it. That's an unbeliever, rejecting a relationship with Christ. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature, his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through what has been made. Understanding even through nature. You go to the Grand Canyon, you know there's a God. You go to Niagara Falls, you know there's a God. You, know the, you go to the pyramids, you know there's a God. You go to Taj Mahal, you know there's a God because those things are just unbelievable. Being understood even through what has been made, which is God's creative work, so that all mankind is without excuse before God's. How do the stars hang in the sky? How do the star, stars keep from colliding with each other? Aristotle said there's an unmoved mover. He just never came up with the name. That unmoved mover is the creator of all things and the creator of the earth and the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. God makes himself clearly visible to mankind in ways that make sense to human beings. Otherwise, what kind of God would he be? Both from the inside of us and from the outside of us. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. It's not a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Remember what Paul and Silas said to the jail guard in Acts chapter 16, verses 31 to 34. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God you and everyone in your household who also believes. Acts 16, 32, And Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation offered to the jailer, together with all the people who were in his house. Acts 16, 33, And the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately the jailer was baptized by God the Holy Spirit, he and all his household who also believed, and all of them did. Acts 16.34 And the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced greatly 
having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ with his whole household. Wouldn't you like to spend all eternity in heaven? Don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of the good news of the gospel message right now. Let's close with music. When June Murphy writes songs, she gets her inspiration from Scripture, the Word of God. Imagine that. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John, the apostle Jesus loved, according to him, says this about the Lord. This is the message we have heard directly from the Lord and announced to you, that God the Father is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Amen. Here's a song by June Murphy. That's an exact reflection of this verse, a song that provides direction for every believer in Christ. The song? Walk in the light.
Am I on green now? Am I okay? So I was saying that that was June's systematic theology version of that song, and so delete it, get it out, and next week we'll play the real version of that song. But uh, it's just funny how how much we've evolved as a ministry, wading our way through all the lies to get to the truth of God's grace. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, you always want the best for us. Help us to want the best for ourselves. Help us to put ourselves first and to free ourselves from the slavery of unprofitable relationships. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Discussing the lesson is coming up. 20 minutes to answer your questions. 20 minutes for the prayer circle. So please join us on Zoom. You can find the Zoom link on the newsletter. Come on in, and the more the merrier. Uh, if you've got biblical questions at any time, you can ask the pastor. That's pastor at baradministries.com. They're knocking down the doors with questions. Not, so ask a question once in a while just to make me happy. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.